Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, and supplier of imaging, underwriting announcements, and promos for Catholic podcasts and radio stations. Inquire at ADC Media 128 at Outlook.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Before we get into the real content of our program, I just want to say hello to a few people. First of all, all of you who are listeners, some of you have written to me lately, and we always enjoy hearing from you, and also getting calls sometimes, or even running into you, like I did during this recent Prairie Fest. It's interesting to have venues like that. We actually run into people who are listening to us here at Light of the East and offer their reactions and their thanks and so on. So I want to say hello to all of you and those who I bumped into at our Prairie Fest at Annunciation Parish recently. I also want to say hello to our good friend Buddy out there in Massachusetts, Buddy knows everything that's going on in the Eastern Catholic Churches everywhere. So I want to thank Buddy for being such a great and loyal listener and also his vigilance about things Eastern in the church. So hello, Buddy, and thank you. Also, I want to thank a couple of people who have written to me lately with some questions and also some interesting comments. Greg Chura, I believe he's out of Columbus area, Columbus, Ohio, and also Mike McGinnis. And they have a couple of questions. Mike had a question that deals with two things that are relative to the Orthodox churches, the Eastern Orthodox churches. And his question is, what is the Eastern Catholic approach to economia? It seems at odds with what I know about Catholicism. Economia is a Greek word which means basically for the good of things, for the better good, the, the household, uh, the care. It's kind of hard to translate exactly as that's often the case between Greek and English. Not always, but often. And basically it's used in a lot of Eastern theology, especially by the Eastern Orthodox churches, to basically means a kind of a maybe a, a relaxing or a modifying of the basic fundamental rule, not, not a radical changing of it, basically a kind of a relaxing of it to apply to specific situation. 
Now, Mike says here that he thinks that that might be at odds with Catholicism. Well, as is often the case, things are not necessarily at odds. They are different, and sometimes they seem to be at odds, but they're basically almost the same, but in different ways. In other words, they kind of arrive at the same point or a similar point, but in different ways. In terms of Catholicism and even Eastern Catholicism, I would probably use a term, instead of economia, I would use a term pastoral. Now, I know sometimes there's kind of a little bit of a nails on the chalkboard whenever people hear that word nowadays, because unfortunately it's been used as an umbrella topic in a very sometimes vague way, very kind of liberal way to mean basically a laxity or a lesser adherence to church teachings. When I say pastoral, that's not to be confused. I want to be very clear on that. Never confuse that word when I use it here in Light of the East with what is oftentimes the understanding of pastoral, especially in the last several decades. When I say pastoral, I mean something very concrete. I do not mean in any way a relaxing of fundamental teaching, of not being faithful to the teaching of the church, and so on. What I do mean is something like economia, where I mean that the application of the rule, the principle, is weighed against the situation of the person. Now, again, we're not talking about relativism either. You'll never get more relativism out of me, especially on Light of the East. It's about how we apply or how we help a person come to the actual full embracing and observance of what would be the teaching or, or the way, the right way. I, I'm hesitating here to use the word rule because I don't like to use the word rule or even teachings in terms of the church because really our faith is about a way of seeing, a way of seeing sacramentally and living according to that vision. And what we see is the order of things. And that's basically what the church is doing. The so-called rules of the church are really the church's way of pointing to the order of things, how God has designed the blueprint for life, and how we act and interface with that blueprint once we can read it, once we understand it. You know, it's just like in construction. You have to know how to read the blueprint so you can follow it. If you don't know how to read the blueprint and you start to build the house, it's not going to work. It's the same thing with spirituality, with theology, with our faith. It's about a blueprint. It's about seeing that blueprint, not just thinking about it, not being told about it, but actually seeing it, seeing the big picture, seeing the vision, seeing the sacramentality, seeing what's really underneath everything, the why behind everything. See, when you have the why behind everything, the blueprint, you don't really need so-called rules. And so... When we try to help people to see the blueprint and live by it, in other words, build their spiritual house according to the blueprint, we use at times what's called a pastoral approach, especially in certain situations. If a person's having a very difficult time, they're having certain circumstances that are really making it more difficult for them to understand or to embrace the teachings, we take what's called a pastoral approach. Again, don't confuse this with laxity or moral relativism. It's something like an economia. The one thing to remember always about the churches East and West is that they really ultimately arrive at the same place, or at least a very, very similar place. And let's be honest, if we really look at things that way, really whittle them down to their most fundamental levels between Eastern theology and Western theology, the arrival points are very, very similar, if not identical in the end. It's just how we get there, how what we emphasize how we see things in terms of what facet of the diamond of the teachings, of you know, the, what, what facet of the diamond of the truth are we looking at? 
And that's really what makes a difference between East and West. Let's take another subject kind of similar, the subject of purgatory. The Orthodox churches will say, we don't believe in purgatory. The Western church does. The Latin Rite church does. Well, the Orthodox Church doesn't use the word purgatory or define that concept as specifically as the Latin Rite Church does. But certainly, most certainly, in fact, the Eastern theology practically wrote the book on so-called purgatory because we're very, very big on praying for the dead, praying that they will, continuously praying for them, that their souls will be in heaven because we don't know. We know someone's in heaven when they're declared a saint in the church's east or west. But we don't until then we don't know. We we hope in in a reasonable way that they are saved, you know, our friends or relatives, especially people we think were very good, devout people. We hope that they are, but only God can judge. And so we keep praying for them. Why do we pray for them? It must mean there's some kind of intermediate step between the final judgment of either going to heaven or not being saved, going to hell. Now, if we just Stop and think rationally for a moment there. Just think rationally before you even get to theology, common sense. Would there really be such a black and white, a dichotomous choice, a judgment day as heaven or hell? Yes, ultimately there is. Yes, ultimately there is. You're either going to be saved and, and go to heaven, live with your body and soul gloriously reunited in heaven with God and the saints forever, or you're not going to be saved. But when we come to Judgment Day, to think that the decision would be that black and white at that time, when we know that a person who's in heaven is a saint, now someone we know, even ourselves, are not saints, at least not that we know of, or they they haven't been declared as such. So what do we do then? Do they go to hell? Because remember, heaven is for saints. The Bible says nothing impure gets to heaven. So what about the rest of us? Are we really totally pure when we die? Well, maybe some are. Some are saintly. But do we really deserve heaven? And do we really deserve hell? It just wouldn't seem to follow logically. And so the church East and West does have a theology of some kind of transitional state, some kind of waiting period. Now, again, we can't talk in terms of chronology in the next life. There is no time as we know it in this life. But the idea that there is a waiting period of some kind, that there is a transitional period of some kind for us, is an idea shared by East and West. It's just that the West, as always, really kind of gets specific about it, which sometimes rubs the East the wrong way. But doesn't mean the West is wrong or they're saying something so diametrically opposed. That is an artificial dichotomy that unfortunately the flames of that are often fanned, especially in ecumenical dialogues. And I believe that that's unnecessary because I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it's honest. Look deeply at the theology of East and West, and you'll find that so oftentimes it's a matter of emphasis, perspective, not fundamental dichotomous kinds of concepts or teachings. The second question that our friend Mike had had to do with saints, the canonization of saints. He said if someone is canonized by the Latin church, let's take the potential for Fulton J. Sheen to be canonized, would he be a saint in the Eastern churches? I read a post online saying that the Latin church recognizes Eastern Catholic saints, but the Eastern Catholic churches do not recognize all Latin saints. 
When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and answer this question as best we can in our short time here today on Light of the East. I want to thank you for listening. Please stay with us. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Can you imagine living a life without love, marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, or friendship? Of course not. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why do we desire these things so much? It is because God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a union and communion of persons who united Himself with us in what the Scripture describes as a mystical marriage, a fruitful self-giving. Scripture also says that we are made in God's image and likeness, so we too are called to become a union and communion of persons in fruitful self-giving. This is why we cannot imagine living without marriage, intimacy, sex, having children, and friendship. Pope John Paul II said in his Theology of the Body that these are the very things that make us most like God. To find out more about the Theology of the Body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're talking about a couple questions from a listener. His name is Mike McGinnis. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name right, McGinnis. And he was asking about some of the differences between the Latin theology and the Orthodox and Eastern Catholic theology. The place we left off was the question about if someone is canonized by the Latin church, is it recognized, all saints, are all saints recognized by the Eastern Catholic churches that are canonized in the Latin Rite Church? The answer would actually be yes. The Eastern Orthodox churches may not recognize some of them, but the Eastern Catholic churches will because of that word Catholic. We're part of the Catholic Church, therefore we recognize all saints who have been canonized in the Catholic Church, whether East or West. The Western Church basically recognizes all the saints in the Eastern churches. So when it comes to these distinctions, you always have to make that distinction between the Latin Rite, the Roman Catholic, Western Long of the Church, the Orthodox, and the Eastern Catholic. You see, the Eastern Catholic Church, because it is in union with the Pope of Rome as part of the Catholic Church, will accept everything that the Latin Rite Church believes. It'll accept its saints, accept its theology, and so on. However, we live out that Catholicism in our Eastern way. Let me give an example the Immaculate Conception. 
the Orthodox will say, we don't believe in the Immaculate Conception. Well, again, I think that requires some nuance. The Orthodox Church, Eastern theology, whether Orthodox or Eastern Catholic, does believe in the special conception of the Mother of God, that she was indeed without sin. And that conception was miraculous, for one thing, because Joachim and Anna were too old to have children, as God often does with important people in salvation history. He grants to unfertile couples, couples that it would be impossible for them to have children, he grants them children, and special children. And one of those, of course, was Joachim and Anne. They prayed very hard because they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They didn't have a child. That's how it was back then in that culture and the Jewish tradition. And God heard their prayer, but boy, did he. He granted them to conceive in the womb of Anne the immaculate child Mary. Now, the Orthodox will say, well, she wasn't born without original sin because she was born to a world with the effects of original sin. And the West would say she was born without sin. She was preserved from original sin, period. Okay, let's look at that and see the convergence points. First of all, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception in the Western Church, the Latin Rite Church, was formulated based upon Eastern theology, Eastern text, because the Eastern churches for a very long time celebrated what they call the conception of the Mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. It's a long title. Of course, it's longer. It's Eastern. (laughs) The conception of the mother of God in the womb of St. Anne. And indeed, in the liturgical text for the feast of the West would call the Immaculate Conception, there was a very repeated and strong emphasis of the miraculous conception in the womb of St. Anne. And there is lots of reference to its purity, to its specialness. And this is what the West based their theology on. It's just that the West would generally go a little further than what the East is sometimes comfortable with. That's part of the genius of the West. They're a little bit more rationalistic in their approach. They tend to compartmentalize and specify things, which is, again, it's part of the genius of the West. We need that. Thank God for that, especially in contemporary moral issues. We have a source that we can go to that is razor sharp, very clear, unequivocal. So we need that. It's just that in the East, they don't go as far. They leave more of it unexplained. Existing, true, a mystery. Mystery means something that is known, definitely known, yet at the same time unexplained or beyond this. That's where the East is. Now, when the East gets uncomfortable about the West, explaining things to the last detail, they will sometimes say, oh, well, there's, the West is saying something heretical or something wrong, or we don't believe like they do. And that is not correct. That's not honest. The East may not articulate things as fully or in the same way from the exact same emphasis, the exact same perspective as the West, but it does not mean the two of them are saying something radically different. It can't be. Because remember, for a thousand years, East and West were united. They were in communion with one another. The Western theology grew in in many ways out of Eastern theology, but it, of course, developed its own direction as well. But that does not mean it was diametrically opposed to the East. We have to remember that this, this division, this split in the body of Christ between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church is something that occurred in the last thousand years. It was not always that way. 
And it's not supposed to be that way. Sometimes we act as though that was the starting point. We're supposed to preserve that split at all costs. We get so dogmatic about dogma. <laughs> when really it's not about a difference in dogma or doctrine. It's a matter of emphasis and perspective. As I mentioned, many facets of the same diamond. Picture it this way. Picture the church, for example. Let's say you enter church from the main doors, which would be in the back of the church. It's a Catholic church or Orthodox church, Eastern Catholic church, whichever. You enter from the back door. But you might also enter from a side door. Now, when you enter from the back door, the main entrance of the church, you're going to have a certain perspective in front of you, a perspective of the entire space. When you enter from the side door, you're going to have a different perspective, but of the same space. And you both arrive at the same point. You arrive in the church, which has one basic purpose and meaning and teaching and theology and so on. But you came to it in different perspectives. This is why I often encourage people not to sit in the church and the pew as if you have assigned seats. I don't know why people do this. When it comes to church, they become very, very habitual for some reason. Change your place sometimes. Sit or stand in a different place. Stand and sit in a different place every week or every time you come to church. It's amazing what that will do for you. You'll get different perspectives of the church itself, but also of the liturgy. Remember, this is all a multifaceted diamond that can be approached equally as validly from many facets, many perspectives. And I believe that's the thing that's most important to keep in mind when it comes to the differences between East and West. So the Orthodox will say that we don't accept certain saints of the Latin Church or we don't accept certain things the Latin Rite teaches. The Eastern Catholic Churches will accept everything the Latin Rite teaches. It will accept all their saints, but it will live it out in their own way, in their own Eastern perspective. And the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, or as they say in the East, the Feast of the Conception of the Mother of God in the womb of St. Anne, or sometimes for short, the maternity of St. Anne, that is what we call the Immaculate Conception, and we live it out in that way through our liturgical texts. So it's not a matter of opposition. It's a matter of, okay, we arrive at basically the same place. This is how you live it out and emphasize it. This is how you see it. This is how we see it. Are they diametrically opposed to the point where we say, we don't believe in what you believe in? No, it is not. And again, it was this way, a more unified way, but through different perspectives, for the first thousand years of Christianity. And quite frankly, I think if a couple leaders in the church would have counted to ten before they acted, we may never have had the so-called Great Schism. I would rather call it the not-so-great schism. What's so great about it? Yeah, it was great because it was big, but it was unfortunate. It was never meant to be. It's awful. And we should be so committed to healing the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. What could be a greater scandal before the world, especially before other world religions that look at us and we want to tell them, look, we've got the truth. Oh, really? Well, how come you're all split apart? The greatest scandal in the world, the greatest scandal in the world is the fact that the body of Christ is torn in half and actually into many pieces after that. Let's not preserve this. Let's not nurture this as if it's some kind of infant that needs to be protected and coddled at all costs. Our goal, as it is on this program, Light of the East, it has been from the very beginning, is unity in the church between East and West. That does not, that does not mean sameness. 
It does not mean adopting each other's identities. It does not mean eroding our own identities respectively. It means being exactly who we are, the fullness of who we are, the best versions of, of who we are, while being united as one body of Christ. Something like a marriage, a man and a woman must be fully who they are as man and woman, yet they are one in marriage without losing their individuality at the same time, without losing their individual manhood and womanhood at the same time. Very much like the Trinity, strong emphasis in Eastern churches. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three individual persons who never become confused, yet they make up one God. Now we share in that by things like marriage and also by a church that breathes with both lungs, although it is complementary. It is complementary, yet one. The Eastern Catholic churches accept all that the Latin Rite Church teaches. And I'm talking about the authentic teachings of the church. I'm not talking about some of the aberrations that we see have happened in the last several decades. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is the essence of the venerable ancient tradition, teaching, theology, ritual of the Latin Rite Church. The Eastern Catholic Church accepts it all, but we live out our Eastern Catholicism in our own Eastern way. It's the way it was for the first thousand years. Hopefully, we will return to that soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. You know what Catholic Radio is? It's training for the troops. It's a interaural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!